McKay, welcome back to the latest United podcast. And unfortunately, we are back inside. We're not um, at the pub, unfortunately, unlike our last episode. And probably a good reason being because I don't know how long it was between drinks, Larry. But our first trip to the pub in what seemed like a year, or especially a few months, I left, I left my sunglasses there and you left your laptop there. What happened? <laughs> too many drinks. Okay. Enjoyed ourselves a little bit too much. Yeah, no, well, it was good to see you, but we are back to discuss the absolute classic nil-all draw against Real Sociedad at Old Trafford. And it's a weird one because what on earth is there to discuss? Well, it wasn't a very eventful game, um, but I will say from the neutrals' perspective, I thought it was actually quite entertaining. Um, Both teams had their chances. Um, It was competitive. You know, the the defenders had to make some last-ditch effort at times. There was a penalty involved, which thankfully um, Real Sociedad did not take advantage of. So, all in all, while not the most eventful football match I've ever seen, quite entertaining. Yeah, I think if you take the emotion out of it, like, we're thinking, okay, 4-0, okay, you can sort of risk it all, you can just go for it and try and score goals if you concede one or two, that's okay, because you're going to go score four or five yourself. However, you take all that away, and you're sort of a little bit frustrated, and you feel a little bit flat. The actual quality of football on display, I thought, was quite good. Okay, the game maybe sort of maybe lacked those clear-cut chances that sort of bring the excitement, but I thought, yeah, take the chances away and the goals, lack of goals away, it was a good game of football. Because um, again, Sociedad, we sort of criticised them so much in the last game, thinking, oh, they were flat and we beat them 4 0. They weren't exactly what we thought. But today, I thought they showed a lot of quality, and um, that was without David Silver on the pitch. Yeah, it was. Um, look, at the end of the day, it's job done for United. You know, the game was, or the, the tie was ultimately done. Um, so I can't be too critical of the Reds for not penetrating the defense as much as we'd like at the end of the day you can't help but be a bit more mentally relaxed what what I will criticize is the strength of the side that Solskjaer went with I can make complete respect to maybe the defense being quite strong and midfield simply for the lack of numbers in there but to start Bruno Fernandes I particularly that one really did bother me I couldn't understand that selection and and one Bissaka as well to be fair well, well, on that, and we'll get into the Bruno bit as, as well, but especially agree on Wan-Bissaka. But it was weird that he dropped Harry Maguire, so it was a weird one. But you look at that, and yes, we all called for the kids to start, or especially a fully rotated side. But when I saw the team news, and I agree, I was with everyone. When I saw the team news, I was, oh my God, what is he doing? Not just the Bruno Fernandes selection, but just in general. it was There were so many players who weren't starting that I thought should have, and probably definitely needed to start. And I was thinking, what on earth is he doing? I don't agree with this at all. However, can you cut him some slack and also, maybe not cut him some slack, but put yourself in his shoes and see from his situation in terms of, again, respecting Sociedad and saying, hey, this is a top of the, sort of top of the league, or not top of the league, but a top side in La Liga. They have some good quality players. And imagine if that penalty goes in at the start of the game. They don't miss that penalty. It's 1-0 and suddenly they sneak a second goal before half time and it's 2-0. You're going into halftime, which isn't sort of unfathomable. You could you could imagine a scenario where Sociedad are leading 2-0 against United. That could definitely happen. And I just think, could Solskjaer maybe foresee that and think, geez, if we find ourselves in a panicky situation like that, it is not the game to have five or six kids on the pitch. You do need that experience. Oh, look, I understand. You know, the manager can always take the safest approach, but... 
I think you also need to trust your squad. Um, and I think that there is enough quality in those positions to protect a 4-0 lead at the end of the day. Like, yes, there's a lot of what-ifs. What if the penalty goes in? But in saying that, the penalty was given away by Dan James, who is an experienced enough footballer to not go in and make such reckless contact. So you can always talk about the what-ifs in football. Sometimes these things happen, but it just shows that even with... This wasn't an Ama Diallo or um, Shola who's made this mistake. So we have to say there's no guarantees. So I think it's backfired irrespective. Yeah, the, the, the one that really stood out for me, not only Bruno Fernandes starting, but Marcus Rashford then coming on at half-time. I thought, geez, that is risky. And ultimately both have come through unscathed and, and probably... They go into that match against Chelsea now maybe a little bit sharper. So maybe it is good for Bruno and Rashford. But just on the outset when that team news was announced, um, yeah, I can't hide. I was very disappointed. But we'll get into sort of that trust of the squad a little bit later in regards to one or two players. But we pretty much discussed everything that happened in the match. The the penalty missed, that was all that happened. So we might as well start the podcast with three two ones. For me, I think there's a pretty obvious candidate. But I'll go with you first for three points. I think Eric Bailly. Um, I thought he was the best player on the pitch for Manchester United today, and I thought he his clean-up work particularly was quite good, not at fault for anything. Um, any half chances that Real Sociedad did, I felt he dealt with. Um, there was one bit of play where typical Eric Bailly, just, he flirts with the ball, he wants to show us his dribbling capabilities and forgets he's not Kaka in the final third. But, yeah, I thought the... Ivory Coast International was really good today and I think he's put his best foot forward to perhaps consideration for the Chelsea match. Well, he was a shoo-in for my two points, not my three points. My three points would have been Nemanja Matic and the reason being, I just think the way the game panned out, it was always in our control and there was not much action at the back in terms of Lindelof and Bay in terms of stuff for them to do. We didn't really create much up front so I think the majority of the game was in that mid, sort of that middle third of the pitch and we were quite comfortable. And I can just see, I can just sort of imagine Solskjaer speaking to Matic before the game in terms of what he wanted from him in that sort of role in terms of experience, keeping the ball, keeping everyone calm, controlled, not expending too much energy. And I think Nemanja Matic, while didn't stand out and in terms of what we want to see from a sort of all-action midfielder, while he didn't stand out, I think he probably carried Solskjaer's instructions out to the absolute letter. And... Um, yeah, I'd be throwing Matic in there for three points unless you want to throw unless you got another point for Eric Bay because Bay definitely was good and definitely above Lindelof so definitely worthy of a couple of points for me but um, your thoughts on Matic's performance? Um, look, I thought Matic was good did nothing wrong the reason I've put Bay forward for the three points is he did face some challenges in the match whereas I didn't feel Nemanja did do that he didn't do anything in the final third of note but it is your birthday, Tom. Um, so a very happy birthday to you today, mate. And as a small, kind gesture on your on set day, um, I think we'll give you the honours of appointing the three points to the Serbian. Oh, thank you, mate. And I'll gladly take that and bay you for two. And also, um, I think when everyone grows up, you always look for your birthday and sort of which famous celebrity you share it with. And mine, probably the reason I first fell in love with him, was obviously the only one I knew was Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. So happy birthday, to the manager as well. So we'll go Matic three points, two for Bay and well one's another tricky one. Um, any suggestions? 
Yeah, not many standouts in this match, and that's the thing when you don't really have anyone do anything of note. Um, Is there a case for well, Rashford Tuan looked Zabie dangerous maybe? when he came on? Yeah, you know what? Tuan Zabi, he played well um, and played in midfield, which was quite interesting. But I feel sorry for him. He, he should have had a goal today, if not for the stupidity of um, one of his colleagues. But... Yeah, I think Tuan is a fair shout. He played really well in that second half. Do you think he's an option in midfield going forward? I say that tongue-in-cheek. Well, we'll just on that, we'll, we'll hand out those points there, but we'll go on to Tuan now. Um, I thought he was almost guaranteed and should have been the first name on the team sheet for this game, and he wasn't. He has gone Victor Lindelof. I thought it was going to be Bayi and Tuan And he's opted to keep Tuan out. I thought now he has come on and done well and performed well and got a goal or albeit a goal. It's almost writing on the wall, writing on the wall. When I saw him on the bench, I was thinking his his time at United's over. I think if he's not starting in this game, Solskjaer just doesn't see a need for him. Yeah, I'm happy he got some game time. I would have liked to see him start, to be honest. Um, but I understand. Uh, you know, I think Bay and Lindelof are our second best partnership. Um, should you know Harry Maguire go down? So I can understand wanting to perhaps try those two together. It's been a while since we've seen that partnership. I, I can't. I don't think they've actually been together in a defensive partnership since Mourinho. So substantial time has passed there. You can understand. Um, Would there have been a case actually, for able to start at right back even to get him some minutes over Wambasaka? I would have supported that. Um, I would have supported Brendan Williams playing from the get go. So again, another weird selection by the manager. Again, you can understand his perspective, but I think that there's enough quality in the squad to handle a 4-0 lead um, in a tie. But I guess, you know, we'll see how we perform against Chelsea. If if we see tired legs out there, then we can look back on this game. If, if there's no issue and we get a positive result, then Solskjaer's a genius and we've got egg on our faces. Well, just on the topic of centre-backs there, and not to spend too much time on it, it was a great-headed goal by Tuan Zabi that obviously chalked off. And I don't want to sort of discuss Lindelof's performance, think he was fine, we've discussed Eric Bay, but just that instant with Victor Lindelof, while there was no sort of ill intent, do you think he's lucky he wasn't given a red card? Like, at the end of the day, it's a knee to the head. Um, I think he's only gotten away with it because... I mean, look, this is a really grey area. I can't make a black and white call because the Real Sociedad defender didn't really compete for the ball in saying that it was really reckless by Lindelof. He was nowhere near the ball. He didn't intend to get the ball. And I think he simply got in there just to be a nuisance. Now, I can make a call to say, yes, you can make an argument for red card. It, It is reckless, but... I think the Real Sociedad player, by the same token, perhaps could have been more competitive in the air as well. So it's a very grey line because if he jumps as well as Lindelof, obviously that contact isn't made. So I think that's the grey part and I understand the referee erring on the side of a yellow card rather than a red card. Yeah. Well, moving on now to probably a sad part of the podcast for me because I just said Tuan Zabi should have been first name on the team sheet. But in my personal opinion... And I'm shocked he wasn't, but um, one matter wasn't on. And he, he was sort of mentioned throughout the week by a few things, even Solskjaer sort of name-dropped him a little bit in regards to his contract situation. Wasn't even in the squad. 
Now, I can't get my head around this one because he obviously had maybe some personal or family issues over the last month and United gave him some time off and he'd come back and came off the bench and he's sort of been involved. You've seen him in the training photos. You think, okay, he'll take his sort of rightful spot in the squad and whether that be from the start or off the bench, not quite sure, but he's back in there. And you think, well, we're named... So he's obviously fit. We're naming three goalkeepers. Obviously, that young kid Bishop even made the bench with Lee Grant. And David De Gea. So we're naming three goalkeepers on the bench and one matter doesn't get involved. And I'm just thinking, he was mentioned throughout the week in regards to his contract situation and Solskjaer has sort of made it obvious that he is talking to other clubs. Now, those other clubs, it does look like some Italian clubs and Juventus are always very sort of aware and on on top of these deals. They pick up so many free transfers um, of sort of players around this age who sort of of surplus to requirements at their club just to just sort of down to certain situations but still have something to offer so you can definitely see a one matter going to Italy and doing very well so just your thoughts on those latest comments by Solskjaer and given the fact that he has been left out of a squad like this where you're including three goalkeepers over him is that just is that just confirmed his time is up yeah I think so um he wasn't seen for a good month or so um I like Juan Mata. I, I can find value in him staying, to be honest. I think the squad overall is quite young. But, you know, oh, it's a difficult one because I think with the signing of Van der Beek, the opportunities of Juan Mata have un- <clears throat> unfortunately probably declined. Um, and I think once Van der Beek finds his feet, and, you know, we do anticipate that should happen, I think you'd see Juan Mata's game time significant, significantly reduce. And at this point of his career, we also have to take into account maybe it's Juan Mata's wishes to seek pastures new and somewhere where he can actually play more football. I think he's too quality of he's still got too much quality to play as sporadically as he does. Um, he's got wonderful vision, a wonderful passing game, and a great football brain. Um, It'd be sad to see him go, but I can understand it. I think that's the case with, with this one with one matters. So often when a player is leaving or we're buying a player or whatever, it's a case of the club want to sell, the club want to get rid of this player, but the player wants he's happy to stay, or it's a case of sort of the player wants to leave, the player's almost forcing a move, and it's always one side versus the other. Where with this one matter situation, one, I think down to the character that he is and the service that he's given United, but also just, yeah, the situation he finds himself in in terms of his age and his the playing time and United's options in that area of the pitch, I think it'll be a very sort of a mutual agreement. OK, the club's happy to move him on and the player is happy to move on. Both would be happy to stay. I think one Matt would be happy to stay and the club would be happy to keep him. But one Matt obviously wants to play football. So I think this will be a very... Sometimes when a player moves on, it gets a little bit messy. But this one, I think, will be, um, be very sort of... A mutual agreement, and there are reports that he will be, um, or in the latest contract that he did sign, um, he will become, once he retires from football, a club ambassador. I think that's an excellent um, appointment from a Manchester United perspective. I like Juan Mata, and I've got to be honest, I've started reading his book, and maybe it's made me fall in love with El Maggio just that little bit more. Um, but seriously, what a fine footballer, particularly in the peak of his career, and I have to say that if if it is his final season with United, he has always put the team first. His best position is number 10. I think anyone can see that. Anyone would know that. And for majority of his time, he's played on the right. He's been played in the left. At times, he's sat deeper. Um, so not deployed in his best position, but has still given us endless memories. Um, you know, one field famous, famously stands out. Um, what a player. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Now, stay tuned for When Why Matter Does Leave. We will have the podcast dedicated to him. Larry, you can bring the tissues for that podcast. But um, on to one that might prove a little bit messy when one, one of these players leaves. Um, it's a different situation to Why Matter leaving. The goalkeeper situation. Now, we don't want to get into the Henderson debate, De Gea debate all over again. We've discussed it to death. However, the reports have come out in regards to Henderson, if isn't given the number one shirt, will look to move on. Now, I'm not sure what sort of contract situation he has in regards to that new contract he signed. But it's what I said at the start of this season. I think having those two goalkeepers, don't care which one, having the two at the club at the same time isn't going to work. Now, we're getting through at the moment, that's fine. But long term, a decision needs to be made. For me, the decision is keep David De Gea. But there is nothing wrong if the decision is Dean Henderson and Solskjaer makes that decision. While I probably wouldn't agree with it, I think that's brave of Oli. But the decision can't be put Dean Henderson in and De Gea on the bench. The decision would have to be play Dean Henderson and sell David De Gea. We can't be in a situation where we've got these two guys on the bench. Because is David De Gea a highest paid player? Well, from all reports, yeah, he yeah, is. So there can't be... If Dean Henderson is the number one goalkeeper next season, it can't be a case of... Uh, we'll keep De Gea there for competition. You need to sell him. And look, that would be... A, I, I wouldn't do that. It would be De Gea for me, but I would sort of applaud Ollie if he did sort of make a ruthless decision because it has to be made one way or the other. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, where are you leaning on that side of the debate? We've clearly spoken about it throughout the season. If you were making a decision today, um, who do you keep? Who do you sell? I'm keeping David De Gea. I think Dean Henderson is a risk of seeing many young goalkeepers come through with a lot of potential. And I think if Dean Henderson wasn't a Man United fan, it would be a different debate. We all want that number one goalkeeper to be a youth academy product who's come through, loves the club. It would be fantastic. And I would love nothing more. But it's a huge risk. We have, okay, he might not be the best goalkeeper in the world at the moment, David De Gea, but he's still a top-class goalkeeper. Like only one team can have the best goalkeeper in the world. We have no right to have that. And there's a, a few bouncing around now. And De Gea is still in the top five for me. Um, I saw Dean Henderson today not make... I'm not sure he is, though. For me, he is. I, I think expectations and mistakes are highlighted. Like, Would you put Allison in the top five goalkeepers? Yeah, I would. What have you made of his season? I, I take that on board, but... With Allison, it's been a very recent thing. He's had performances this season where you've said, you know, he's clearly shown his quality. Yeah, so, so I think the... I, I take that on board. I think the issue with De Gea is he's not the... I think the goalkeeper position has evolved over the years. And Allison is, you know, since you've used him, I'll use him as in, in this comparison. He's a well-rounded goalkeeper. He commands his box fairly well. I wouldn't say it's his strength, but he, compa- he, he commands his box competently, excellent with the ball in terms of distribution with his hands and his feet, um, very confident, strong communicator. Um, we saw the level that Liverpool's defence went to when Alisson did come in. So the thing with De Gea is he's been such an excellent shot stopper, but I think his all-round game hasn't actually developed. In fact, in some respects, you could almost say it's declined because when he initially joined United, I actually thought his distribution was quite good, but that's something that's gra- gradually waned off. Now, I don't know if that's because of under Mourinho, it was a very direct style and maybe it was an area of his game that got neglected, but he doesn't command his box well. He doesn't handle crosses well. His c- communication style is not his strength. So there's so many weaknesses in the David De Gea 
repertoire, for lack of a better word. Um, Now, I'm not saying Henderson is the solution. In my opinion, United probably need to go to market and get a stronger goalkeeper. But if it's a decision for next season, I'd almost be happy to wear the loss on De Gea, give Henderson a season, and if he doesn't prove his worth, then you can go to market the following season. Yeah, look, look, it's a tricky one. And again, I sit here and say, while I would disagree with letting De Gea go, I would still applaud the decision, because a decision definitely does need to be made. And look, I ultimately would love Dean Henderson to be our goalkeeper. I just think it is a huge risk. And sometimes you need to take a risk to sort of reap the rewards, and maybe that is what is needed. And uh, maybe I'm just being a little bit too loyal to David De Gea. But um, I just think in terms of we needed a centre-back, you probably need a centre-defensive midfielder, you need that fellow attacker, whether that be a right-winger or a striker. I just think too much is made of this goalkeeping situation because we, if we're Sergio Romero on the bench, no one would be having a discussion about David De Gea. It's because it's Dean Henderson and nothing against Dean Henderson, but it's someone we want to see take that number one spot eventually. So I think there's that added pressure where if it was someone else, that pressure wouldn't be there. Yeah, I take that point. Um, And I, I take your point earlier as well about Henderson being a United fan, maybe that is, there is an element of that, a guy who's considered a local junior for his tenure. Look, if I'm being entirely honest, I'm not convinced Henderson is the solution. I can't, I don't look at him and think, wow, what a world-class goalkeeper we have on our hands. The other thing is, Sheffield United, while he played so well, he really did complement their system. They played a very counter-attacking style which protects a goalkeeper in many ways. United are at a step where they almost need a goalkeeper who can just be be so well-rounded because they're not going to need to make many saves. We've seen that transition in United's playing style. Under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer from last season to this season, we seem to want to be a team on the ball who promotes attacking football. So maybe it's that it's not De Gea's a bad goalkeeper. Maybe it's just with the evolution of the side, United just need something different. Yeah, well, look, it's a debate that is definitely not going to go away and we'll definitely be dis- we'll probably be discussing it this time next week. But um, not to stay too much on transfers, but obviously there was more transfer news during the week in terms of it looks like Dortmund are willing to... Obviously, um, Erling Haaland's contract will... That release clause, I think it's a £70 million release clause or something like that, will kick in at the end of next season. However, you do have to sort of take into consideration the COVID market and everything and even Dortmund's potential missing out on the Champions League next season. We'll see in a couple of games how that looks. But there's strong reports that Dortmund will be listening and will sort of able to accept an offer for Haaland this season. And obviously Rayola has taken that bait and started speaking about um, Haaland, saying there's a few clubs that can afford him. They said there's a maximum of 10 clubs. Now, obviously, whatever situation you think United are in, obviously United are one of those clubs. Now, Solskjaer has been talking about him. Now, obviously, he was given the question, so he, he hasn't just come out and started talking about him randomly. He was sort of tempted a little bit with the question, but you can't hide from the fact that Haaland does have a relationship with Solskjaer. And I'm just thinking, I look around at the other clubs, and you, you can you can pick those 10 clubs. You get Real Madrid, Barca, PSG, United, you've got Chelsea, Liverpool, City, etc. United, when you look at it, probably quite high on the list. Where do you think United sit in regards to sort of favourites to land Haaland? I think we're up there. Um, I think with United, and it ties in with the season Martial's had, unfortunately. Cavani, while he's been good, he's clearly at an age where he's at the tail end of his career. Um, Martial, even last season, for as good as he was, 
Still, the jury was out on, is he a pure, genuine number nine? I think this season he's shown he's not. Um, and, and even if he is, he doesn't have that consistency level in his game. He's not the well-rounded number nine. You, you've seen the quality difference with Cavani when he does start in that central striker position. So I think United are high up there. There, there is a need for that dominant number nine, which I'd argue United really haven't had since Robin Van Persie. So if they can secure a player who is so young, um, and regardless of the price, if, if you pay $150 million for him, you got you got a 10-year player there. So and he'll, he'll get better for sure, and his goal return is ridiculous. You'd have to say United will be in the conversation, but by that same token, Sergio Aguero is leaving Manchester City. Um, Chelsea have had their issues up front. So you could make a case for a few clubs. Well, the one club that will be in the spotlight, obviously, is Borussia Dortmund, and the other one of the Borussia Dortmund front three is Jaden Sancho. If given the choice, just forget wages, forget agents, forget transfer fees, what the squad needs and what Solskjaer needs now, if you're playing a game of FIFA or football manager, you have the choice of Haaland or Sancho. Who are you picking for next season? Oh, I'm taking Haaland. 100%. I think his goal return itself is, is excellent. And I totally take the argument of, you know, United need balance, but we've shown that we, we just don't have that lethal striker up front. And I think Haaland would transform United's attack and really complement the system that we do currently play. Yeah, no, it looks hard to argue. I think, look, time will tell, and the football and world does need to show a little bit of patience with Haaland and even Mbappe to an extent. But you just are getting the feeling that um, he, he continues this form for another year. Wherever he ends up, you just, look, I don't think the next generation of footballers will reach Ronaldo and Messi's level, but it's hard to argue that if there isn't two player or especially one player Haaland could be that one could be that Ronaldo West player who just just sort of lives and breathes goals scores goals scores goals, goals just can't yeah. stop scoring and um, look if it is at United you would gladly take that because when's the last time we had that it's probably Ronaldo the last time we had that player who sort of all eyes were on him around the world who's the best player in the world it's Cristiano Ronaldo he wears Man United shirt since he left the best player in the world has been at Real Madrid or the best player in the world has been at Barcelona. Um, the best player in the league has been at Manchester City. So, um, yeah, look, there's a lot of sort of caveats with the Haaland deal and pros and cons to it. But, um, look, it would be good to have one of the best strikers in the world. But on that, you just mentioned Chelsea. They are um, the next fixture. And for us here in Sydney, it is a Chelsea game. So that means one thing. That means 3.30am on a Monday morning. Um, it's the only time we do play them. Weird one, because away at Stamford Bridge, you think, oh, God, this is a horrible game, the horrible fixture, we always lose. However, since Solskjaer has come in, we've done quite well there. Um, but it still has that, you still have the bad memories of Chelsea. Just your thoughts going into this one? Yeah, look, it's going to be a difficult game. Chelsea um, undefeated under um, Thomas uh, Tuchel since he's come in. Uh, not the first time that Manchester United will face him this season. Um, obviously, we, we did have the... Some success um, in the earlier rounds of the Champions League group stages. So it will be a difficult game. I'm very keen to see how Chelsea approach this match, but also how Solskjaer approaches it. The last game, I think we showed them a little bit too much respect. Um, United were very cagey. It was a very cagey affair, but United very cagey themselves, very reserved, didn't really go for it. I think you can get at this Chelsea defence. 
Um, it is a, I think they definitely do have attacking options. They, they've had their issues scoring goals. Um, midfield is clearly... I, I think this game particularly, midfield is where it'll be won and lost. Um, do we know how far Paul Pogba is away from being fit? Um, look, the training photos and what Solskjaer said that he is back out running. So, look, just on evidence what you hear previously with other players coming back when they're at that stage in regards to a manager's comments and sort of so-called back on the grass... I would say he's another two weeks away from playing, so um, I'm not sure who we have in two weeks, but I don't think he'd be anywhere near the squad for this game um, or even the next game midweek. But I'm looking at the table that now, and we seem to have... The, the narrative is that Chelsea have had such a poor season and we're doing sort of quite well. They're six points behind us. So if they win this game, they come within a game of us. So, look, I'm not going to sit here and celebrate a draw, but you give me a draw, it's not a defeatist attitude. I'll definitely take this in this game. I think this is one of the, the toughest tests we have remaining this season, and we still have a lot of tests remaining this season, but I think given Chelsea's form and our, not lack of form, but we have plateaued a little bit, I think we're in a little bit of a tricky situation going away to one of the big guns, and um, yeah, it's a huge, hugely tough test, so it's a, it's a point for me if I'm taking it. I take a point, um, but if United can get three, yeah, yeah. for sure, I think that I think that really puts us in a good position in terms of the top four. Um, you know, we were in such a good position as recently as two weeks ago, and unfortunately, with the way United have un- had some disappointing results, um, it, we're, we're almost in that dogfight. So, look, of course you take a point, but I don't think it's one where Solskjaer should play for a point. I think... He can definitely get at Chelsea, and I think there's an opportunity to score some goals. The, re- the reason I think a win in this game could prove almost sort of sort of a massive result if we uh, sort of happen to get the three points here is West Ham are playing City. Now, obviously, would love City to drop points and West Ham to take the points. Uh, whether that means anything in the sort of title race, I'm not quite sure. However, if the likelihood of City winning... West Ham obviously don't take the points, and I think if we can jump points on Chelsea and West Ham on the same weekend, I think suddenly that six-point gap goes to nine points, and that top four race, which we said at the start of the season, both of our goals were almost just comfortably made the top four. I don't want to be on the last two, three days of the season having a look at the table and think, okay, we need this result or we need that result to go our way. We just want with five or six games to go in the season, yep, we're playing Champions League football next week, uh, next next season. So, um. I think this is a pivotal weekend in the season. It's almost that must-not-lose game for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's just uh, cannot lose. That That's that's spot on. Yeah, no, definitely. But we will be back on Monday to discuss that. Unfortunately, as said, it is 3.30am on a Monday morning. But I heard a rumour, Larry, we might be at the pub for that one, back at the pub. Yeah, mate. Uh, rumours are out. They're circling around. And um, should everything come to fruition maybe those rumors will come true so yeah we could be at the pub on monday discussing hopefully a win no, fingers crossed and thank you everyone for their feedback on that last episode at the pub everyone sort of enjoyed that sort of pub ambience so um thank you all for that and enjoyed a good couple of drinks but until then make sure you obviously all subscribe on the podcast app whether that be itunes spotify soundcloud etc and follow us on all the social medias utd pubcast and until then larry have a good weekend mate you too, mate. Enjoy your birthday and, um, yeah, chat to you Monday. Yeah, nil or draw on my birthday, first thing in the morning. It's what, what I dream of. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> All right, have a good one. See ya.